welcome back. I'm your host, Erin Bogert, welcoming you to another Ghost Hunt episode. Today we visit a ghost near and dear to my heart, Pearl Balmer, and I think you'll see why once we get started. And just a little warning here, Pearl's story is a difficult one to listen to. In the summer and fall of 1922, New Brunswick teenager Pearl Balmer was sexually assaulted by her father. To escape his abuse, Pearl sought the companionship of a young man named Raymond Schneider, but this didn't make things better. Raymond proved to be manipulative, jealous, and violent. On the morning of September 16, 1922, Raymond pressured Pearl to go to D. Rusey's Lane, a so-called lover's lane, on the outskirts of town. The details of what happened next are disputed, but what is known is that they saw the maimed corpses of the Reverend Edward Hall and the choir singer Eleanor Mills. At Pearl's insistence, they reported the bodies to the police. The political and criminal circus that became known as the Hall Mills investigation then began. And Pearl was at the center of it all. As more and more details came to light, Pearl began to receive death threats from Schneider's ex-wife, his friends, and his family. Her father was arrested, and the newspapers tore apart every piece of her tragic life. She then tried to drown herself in the Raritan River. The police got her out and incarcerated her in a reform school. If you are experiencing suicidal ideation, going through difficulties, or just need someone to talk to, please call the New Jersey Hope Line at 1-855-654-6735. Don't face it alone. Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda, you'll come waltzing Matilda with me. And her ghost may be heard as you ride beside the billabong. You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me. I have just been telling Prosecutor Beekman, Mr. Totten, and Mr. David some facts which I do not remember whether I gave in my other statement or not. One of them is that Ray- Raymond Schneider once threatened to shoot me. This was in June or July this year. He was very jealous of me and accused me of going with other fellows and threatened to shoot me. I know he had a revolver about three or four months ago because one night I was walking along the street with him on Oliver Street and was attacked by a man by the name of Joe Toth who was mad at me because I had told of an insult he had given me before. Toth knocked me down against the fence. The next night, Raymond told me that he had pulled a revolver on him and was going to shoot him, but but a man came along and interfered. One time I got cartridges for Raymond. I think they were 32. I got these at the house of Julia Hanyak, who lives on Oliver Street. I don't remember the number. I remember his telling me afterwards that they were too long for his revolver, and he had to cut them down and make sharper points on them. Raymond was very jealous of me, and he told me he would get even with any fellow I went with and has threatened to knock my block off. There were four fellows followed us instead of three on Thursday night of the murder. Once... Raymond threatened to cut me with a knife and place it against my stomach, although afterwards he pretended like he was fooling about this. The Thursday night of the murder was committed, I saw Clifford Hayes at three different times. Once by Johnson & Johnson's, 
once by College Avenue and George Street and once way up in the field. Hayes was with Raymond when my father pulled out his cigarette case. This is what they thought was a revolver, as I understand it. My father took the cigarette case from his left hip pocket. On Friday night, Raymond asked me to go away with him to Perth Amboy, and he asked me again Saturday morning, and I refused to go. We did not start out for mushrooms on Saturday morning. We started to take a walk, and he took me up in the direction of the Phillips farm, and practically the first place we went on the Phillips property was by the place where these bodies lay. He looked at the bodies, and we, we walked on. He said they must be people from the fire at Middlebrush. I remarked it would be funny they would come up there to rest, and then he told me not to be buttoned into other people's business. We walked on by and sat down, as I told before, and were laying in the same position I saw them, and he did not want to go where they were. Told me not to tell anybody that we had found the bodies. He also told me to tell the prosecutor that we had gone after mushrooms and that I stayed in one field and he in another. He told me once that he shot a man in the arm on Spring Street in New Brunswick and that the police had taken his revolver away from him. I think I saw the gun he had, but I do not positively remember about it. He acted funny on Saturday morning and also Friday and on Sunday he was actually sick. And when I asked him what was the matter, he said it was the sight of those bodies made him sick. On Friday night when we were together, I told him of my condition and he said he was sick and that he wanted to go home, but knowing what my condition was, he came around on Saturday again and took, took me for a walk up to this place. And her ghost may be heard as you ride beside the billabong. You'll come a-waltzing, Matilda, with me. My actual age is 17. I'll be 18 November 7th, 1922. I've been called to the prosecutor's office to answer some questions about the cartridges I got from George Hanyak. This is the same house in which Joe Torth lived. About a month and a half ago, Raymond Schneider asked me to get some cartridges for him as I had before told him that there were cartridges down at the house where I was boarding. He asked me to get him some 32 short cartridges. I got a whole handful and I remember looking at them and the number 32 was, was stamped on the brass end of the cartridges. They were 32 long and after I gave them to Raymond, he told me they would not fit his gun and that he would have to cut the ends off and he brought me one and showed me with the end pared down to a point. He afterwards told me he could not use them and, and had given them away. About six months ago, my father started to, to be nasty with me. The first time he did anything improper with me was when he bought me a new dress. After he bought me the dress, he took me walking out by Johnson & Johnson's and he kept putting his hands up my dress and he put his hands on my person. I objected to it, but he held me by the arms and at the time he did not actually do anything to me, but he kept hugging me up close to his body. The second time he did anything to me was by Johnson & Johnson's near the park. And her ghost may be heard as you ride beside the billabong. You'll come a-waltzing, Matilda, with me. Thank you for listening to Pearl's story in this episode of our ghost hunt season of That's How the Story Goes. If you want to experience this radio play again, or others like it, might I suggest downloading the Geocache app, where you can do some real-life ghost hunting, all you have to do is travel to the locations mentioned, in this case the banks of the Raritan River in New Brunswick, and search for our caches. You can also purchase tickets to Thou Shalt Not 2022, 
our real-life play that is coming back to the stage for the centennial of the murders this September. Available through our website at thinkeryandverse.org. This episode was brought to you by the New Brunswick Historical Society and Thinkery and Verse. Grant funding has been provided by the Middlesex County Board of Chosen Freeholders through a grant award from the Middlesex Cultural and Arts Trust Fund. Our theme music this season comes from Blimp66 of freesound.org. Today's radio play used actual transcripts from the testimony that Pearl delivered to the detectives in the course of their investigation. These original 1922 depositions were provided by the New Brunswick Free Public Library. This episode was directed by Johnny Meyer and edited by Karen Alvarado. It was performed by me, who also happens to be your host and engineer, Aaron Bogert. Thanks again for joining me. Until next time. Thank you.